John, I realized from talking to your staff, you have a certain reputation of getting emotional oh, at, at yeah. like ribbon cuttings and things like that. Yeah, it's a running gag now. And it, it seems like when I hit kind of my mid-50s, uh, anytime I started talking about anything that yeah. I was remotely right. uh, cared about, yeah. you know, I would get choked up. <laughs> and it's gotten progressively worse. So um, it hasn't got quite to the point where you're at a Mexican food restaurant and you'll say, I'll have the Riano. <laughs> well, depending on the Riano. It's always cool in Mesa. Yes, it is. It's always cool in Mesa. Yeah. Forget the degrees and just remember this, please. I say it's always cool in Mesa. The city of Mesa may have started a new holiday tradition. This year, the day after Thanksgiving, we lit the Christmas tree as usual, but then afterwards we went into the Mesa Art Center to enjoy some holiday entertainment, including the retelling of a true Mesa story, The Man Who Killed Santa Claus. No other town can tell this story because it's a Mesa story. So if there's some spies from Gilbert listening in, don't even think about it. We killed Santa, not you. I spoke with the guys behind the show, Brian Nissen, who wrote and directed, and the evening's producer, Mark Arnett. It's always cool in Mesa. <laughs> Our relationship actually goes back to high school with, with mine with both of these guys. But Mark and, and Brian have a long history as well yeah. but with Citrus Valley Playhouse. And one of the great productions that Mark and Brian did back in the day was The Man Who Killed Santa Claus. And so I always I made a mental bookmark back in the day thinking, this is such a uniquely Mesa story. It needs to be told on a regular basis. And so I was delighted that we could use the podcast as a vehicle to deliver that to kick off this Christmas season. It is a great story. Yeah. It's one of those stories that's almost like, is that true? Is that you have people right. come come up to you afterwards, even though we've said based on a true story, they're like, is that, but was it really true? Wait, Brian, it's really true? No, it was. <laughs> I didn't know. I assumed Mark, you lied. On, I told you this. <laughs> well, and, and I don't think you really exaggerated much because the, the facts are the facts, yeah. right? I mean, sure, you, you made up some dialogue to, to tell the story, but. Yeah, yeah, no, no. The, the broad strokes are true. So anyhow, I just pictured Brian and Mark performing the same story I'd seen years ago. But that's not how it worked out. We were trying to figure out, well, who can we get to do this and who can we do that? And I remember thinking, John could do this. Yeah. Because I remember watching John in a play when we were in high school. Yeah. And you were great. Frankly, I think they wanted someone to blame in case things went south. Long story short, I got drafted into playing the title role of The Man Who Killed Santa Claus. The next thing you know, I'm also the MC. You had a comedy monologue. Yeah. Now, if I were you, that would be the thing that would make me most nervous, because stand-up is really tough. Uh, a, a few days ago, I was talking to a, a woman who said, John, your podcast is the best thing I've heard in a long time. That's a true story. And I said, thank you, honey. Could you please pass the potatoes? My family's critique of the show was the best part was Amateur Hour. And it's time for Amateur Hour. Let's bring on our actors. Amateur Hour is when Brian and Mark pluck people from the audience to perform a radio play. Amateur Hour is crafted in a way that um, it's kind of a no-fail thing because if they're great, it's awesome. And if they really are bad at it, well, that's awesome too. One thing that has been a lot of fun is just to get the audience warmed up before the show. And we find that auditioning amateurs in front of the crowd is kind of a, 
It never fails. Okay, here we go. And this is your line, and give it, just read it right there. I've worked my whole life, and for what? What does it all mean? Wow. What do you think, guys? Wow. Got an old man voice? Calm down, son. I'm here to help you. Ooh, this nightgown is drafty. <laughs> I don't care if you're just a shoe salesman. I love you. I do. Wow. All right, you pass. Take that on up there. He's going to do our sound effects, and so we need to make sure he can do them. So um, here, here's the first one. I need you to make the sound of a car crash followed by a European siren. But here's the thing about this episode of Amateur Hour. They wouldn't let me know what it was about. Brian, one of the things I was a little nervous about when, during Amateur Hour is you did a, a great job of insulating me from knowing anything that was in that script. And so I was a little nervous about yeah. this. Every course. time we go to rehearsal, we yeah. say, John, go smoke a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd have to take up smoking. I, I had a dry yeah. cough Sorry. the entire <laughs> performance because of all the cigars I'd smoked during rehearsal. In fact, the first time I heard a word of this script was when the amateurs were on stage that night. It's time for that holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life, Mesa Edition. It's the future. Mesa's Merry Main Street is one of the most innovative, visionary Christmas spectacles on earth. Nevertheless, Mesa Mayor John Giles, usually the perpetual optimist, has slipped into a funk. It was very, very sad. Just, just one long screechy creepy no. <laughs> What's wrong, sweetheart? Mary Main Street is just so old and tired. Old and tired? No, it's exciting. You get the idea. I'm a distraught George Bailey, and an angel comes to save me. My name is Clarence. <laughs> I'm an angel. Sent to help you, John. Why are you so sad? Oh, I wish I was never mayor. John, John, you must never say that. I'll say it if I want to. <laughs> I wish I was never the mayor. Okay, then, John, you've got your wish. You were never mayor. Just then a cold wind whipped down Mary Main Street. The temperature dipped way below 65 degrees. And just like George Bailey, my character lives the nightmare of making a regrettable wish. By now, Mayor Giles was in a panic when suddenly he was cornered by a man in a wheelchair. Then suddenly, halfway through the sketch... I know that you can see what we're missing is a villain. We thought it would be uh, fun to have our perpetual optimist of a mayor play the villain. Do you think that'd be a good idea? So I came back on stage to play a character who, let's just say, doesn't have a very high opinion of me. I'll give you my lines again to come in. You ready, Mr. Mayor? Yes, sir. How did you know I wasn't talking to the other Mr. Mayor? <laughs> <laughs> by now, Mayor Giles was in a panic when suddenly he was cornered by a man in a wheelchair, Mr. Potter. Well, if it isn't Mayor John Giles. <laughs> Wait, why do you recognize me? 
because I also wish you were never the mayor. <laughs> Brian did actually text, uh, you know, some of your staff to get yeah. the information on what would hurt the most for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> Potter moved in on Mayor Giles. <laughs> Look, I don't want any trouble. Of course you don't. Always Mr. Nice Guy, always smiling. <laughs> you're soft, Giles. And not just your politics, you're gaining weight. <laughs> your hair is thinning on top. You cry at ribbon cuttings. It's embarrassing. Be a man. Do us all a favor and move to Sweden, you rhino. <laughs> Jeez. Anything else? Your podcast is done. <laughs> Eventually, the spell is broken and Don and I are reunited. Don and John embrace. Oh, Don! Oh, John! They kissed. They kissed for a really long time. Some people did ask me, were you typecast to be the evil, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mr. Potter that uh, that yelled at people? And because they apparently I was fairly convincing did, in that, that role. Was, you, you were really <laughs> good at it. Maybe a little too good. I was. A little, That's I was, what I'm hearing. Yeah, you know? Brian. I also want to make sure that uh, we give a shout out to Emma, your yeah. your, your daughter, but mm. she's got an amazing world class voice. She and, does. And, I, there's, she is yeah. she is the best singer I've ever worked with. Gone away. Before the main attraction, Brian and I sat down to talk about Mary Main Street, past and present. I was shocked to find out when you and I were talking about this that uh, Mary Main Street has really only been going since 2014. Right. Did they ever have a Mary Main Street kind of thing in Mesa before? Absolutely. When I was a kid, we would we'd wait for the, the decorations to go up on the light poles. When it happened, it was just literally that's what you'd do back in the 60s. Your parents would say, let's all get in the car. We're going to drive up and down Main Street and we're going to look at the Christmas decorations. That was that was it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and then when I was on our city council back in the 1990s, I think someone had the idea of, of throwing some, some snow in the back of a dump truck and bringing it to Main Street and dumping it out. <laughs> and I, I think there's, it, it was not the best idea, I thought, because there's a lot of ice involved and, and uh, probably still people wearing eye patches to this day, <laughs> dating back to Mary Main Street back then. So now I guess we're coming up on eight years or so that we've done right. Mary Main Street. What yes. was the first one like? I heard it was surprisingly busy i mean for the first one it was it was shocking i think th this is right after the light rail construction had concluded and i think that the, the whole community was was really just had such an appetite to get back to normal and to have something a place to go a place to celebrate it was uh, a flashback to to my youth and and uh, again, we introduced this, this new element of the ice rink. And you went for the real ice, right? Didn't you have a decision to make at one point? 
Well, yes. So when we were first starting this discussion, they, they said, well, what do you want to do in downtown? I said, you know, in Phoenix and some other places, I think they have an actual ice rink. And that seems like a kind of a, a crazy idea. You know, you're outside in Arizona, it's 75 degrees, the, the palm trees are swaying, and you're on ice. Uh, and they said, well, there, there's two ways to do this. There's, there's real ice, which is a little bit pricey, or we could go with the plastic ice. Yeah. And I said, come on, you guys, we can't have plastic ice in downtown Mesa. <laughs> so we went with the real ice. Oh, and I, I, I fantastic. Way to go for real ice. Yeah. Yeah. Real ice fans we have here with us. Uh, what kind of dent did COVID put into uh, Mary Main Street? Did you skip a year? Uh, yes and no. We're still able to do the ice rink. All, most of the other activities became virtual. We had a virtual tree lighting ceremony, which was, I don't think anyone was, was there besides me, frankly. Uh, <laughs> and you had a very interesting way to deal, to, to handle the Santa That's interaction problem. Do we have that picture? That's right. <laughs> we, we call this snow globe Santa. <laughs> Right, because we actually had plexiglass between Santa and the kids, uh, and it was you know it was the you make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, right? that's right. When it's COVID, you put up plexiglass. I think I would have been tempted to invent a mechanism that grabs it and takes it and just kind of gives it a little shake. Right. You know, just put a seatbelt around Santa. Yeah. And tell I, him think, to hang I think on. there were elves that were throwing flakes, you know, behind Santa, <laughs> just to make it more realistic. Well, John, now I think we've come to the part of the show where we should deliver on what we've been talking about we're going to do. That, that's right. This is a great story. I'm excited to share it with everyone. It's a true story, too, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who killed Santa Claus. It bears mentioning that no Santa Clauses were harmed during the taping of the show. What you're about to hear is based on a true story and happened right here in Mesa. It was the Roaring Twenties, the age of jazz, flappers, and speakeasies. But one craze flew higher than all the rest. Yeah! Let's take a magic ride, fly me up to the starry night. I'm as bold as a hurricane, you've got a brand new craze reached its zenith in 1927 when Charles Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic and landed in Paris. Even the French could not hide their enthusiasm. Vive ugly American. Suddenly anything seemed possible. People were flying as high as Lindbergh himself. 18 months later, <laughs> the stock market crashed. Come December 1932, Americans were still grinding through the Great Depression. Arizona was no exception. In downtown Mesa, even though it was the first Saturday in December, only a few people were shopping. I used to think life was a bowl of cherries. Bunch of dead canaries. All them poor little birdies. Looking for 
You sound better than ever, Sally. Thanks, Johnny. Johnny was John McPhee, editor of the Mesa Journal Tribune, as it was called in those days. McPhee was an incurable big thinker. Hey, we're still doing that outdoor Christmas concert, right? You say so, Johnny. I do say so. Keep your head up, Sal. McPhee was headed to Dolly's coffee shop to join a meeting of merchants who were trying to figure out a way to get people to shop downtown. All right, all right, let's get this started. Who wants coffee? Francesco Spinelli of Spinelli's Music was the first to speak. I'll take an espresso. Oh, sure, you want an espresso. How about a slice of tiramisu to go with it? Really? No. This is Mesa, not Milan. You're getting coffee and pie for a quarter. Mm. <sighs> no coffee for you, right, Pearl? Oh, gosh, no, never. <laughs> Pearl Gertz ran Gertz Fine Clothing. I am so excited to hear everyone's ideas. This is the year we break out of the Depression. I feel it in my bones. Old Uncle Sam's gonna come roaring back. USA, USA! Yeah, I can see you don't need any coffee. Okay, here is my idea. Go, Dolly! I say the best way to get people downtown is to do a raffle. Nailed it! Done! Let's go home! No! Wait! We have to talk about what we are donating. I'm donating dinner for four and a pie. <gasps> dinner for four and a pie! What about you, Francesco? Uh, I guess I can give away a, a saxophone reed. Wow, a, a, a whole reed, huh? Too much? Uh, I give away an oboe reed, the smaller. <laughs> no, no, it has to be something of value, Francesco. Oh, why don't you give away accordion lessons? <gasps> For the same reason you don't buy an espresso machine. Too expensive! Uh, come on, Pearl. Show Francesco how it works. What'll you donate? Oh, me? Nothing. What? I'm here in a cheerleading capacity only. Go raffle! No raffle. Listen, listen, listen. How about instead we jazz up the Christmas Day parade, huh? <gasps> yes! Jazz it up, baby! Uh -huh. America is back! <laughs> now, if you're from Minnesota, a Christmas Day parade might seem like an odd thing to do. But if you're from Mesa, Arizona, it makes a whole lot of sense. Mesa tried a 4th of July parade once. People gathered at 3 a.m. just to beat the heat. But since it was pitch black, things got complicated. When the marching band turned left off of 87 onto Main Street, half the band kept going straight into the darkness. Clem Hackett, the nearly deaf trombone player, got halfway to Gilbert before he realized what had happened. Hello? Hello? <laughs> the next year they began a Christmas Day parade, but in time that too fizzled. <sighs> no one shows up for the Christmas Day parade anymore. They will if we do like we do in my old country, huh? Get ready, Pearl. And all accordion, the marching band. <gasps> That sounds horrible. Oh. Oh, a raffle it is then? No, no, too expensive. Oh, I don't see how idea. it works. It's just too Hey, 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 oh, oh, people, hey. They looked to the end of the counter and they saw the familiar face of John McPhee. No need to argue, my friends, because I've got it all figured out. Coffee and a pie, Dolly. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't oh. wait to hear this big idea. What? Because the last one of yours was a beauty. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what makes it big fun? He bought a hundred acres out in Queen Creek. <laughs> like anyone's ever going to want to live in Queen Creek. <laughs> oh, okay, you, okay. Here's my idea in two words. Charles Lindbergh. Oh, of course. It's perfect. We all get in airplanes and cross the Atlantic. Uh, no. And no. then when we get there, we tell the French, hang on to your baguettes, we're having a raffle. No, no, Pearl, I'm just talking about flying in general. Oh, I see. Do ya? Yeah, we release thousands of carrier pigeons. No. And then they go house to house with little notes attached to their legs. Hey, neighbor, we're having a raffle. No, Pearl, there's no raffle. Look, I'm just talking about flying as entertainment. Barnstorming, wing walking, a parachutist wearing a big red suit. <laughs> a big red suit. <laughs> It'll look like a Santa Claus. <laughs> Ooh. Here's how it works. We'll get Chet Chesterson to be Santa. You guys know Chet. He even parachuted into France a few times. Oh, hold on. Chet's a beanpole. Well, well, we'll stuff him with something. Pearl can help with that, right? Uh, me? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm only here for the cheers. Wait, what? Forget about Chet being a pole for beans. His voice is way up here. You can't hand Santa saying, ho, ho, ho. Uh, well, we'll come back to that. My cousin Josephina will fly the plane. She circles around Main Street a few times, gets everyone excited. Then Chet, as Santa, walks out onto the wing and jumps. He'll make a nice soft landing out near Dobson. Sheriff Roy will pick him up in the squad car and they'll roll into downtown to pass out candy to all the kids. Now I ask you, who's gonna stay home with their kids when Santa's jumping from a plane and saying, hello kids, come get some candy? Don't you mean, hello kids, come get some candy? Hang on, hang on. It sounds complicated. Let's just keep things simple. Oh, raffle! No raffle. We're back to the raffle again. Why? People, people, friends, friends. You have to look at the big picture here. We're three years into a depression. Some Some folks are losing hope. That's the great thing about this idea. It's fun. It's something fun. Gets people's minds off their troubles. Now look, we can solve all of these little problems, I promise. But what do you say, huh? They all agreed. Santa Claus was falling to town. John McPhee got right to work. Deep down in Arizona, out of Mesa way, there's a newspaper man just typing away. He said, come and see Santa jumping from The big day had arrived, and Main Street was jammed with people. McPhee went out to the airstrip to meet his cousin Joe. Morning, Josephina. Hey, fancy pants. 
You ready for this? What's that supposed to mean? Just because I'm a woman, maybe I can't fly this thing? No, no, I, I just... Yeah, where's your sissy jumper anyhow? Well, no, wait, wait, he, he's not here? <laughs> Looks like Fancy Pants might have to slip into the Santa suit. <laughs> McPhee's mind was racing. Chet did seem a little nervous. Where could he be? Where would a nervous parachutist go to calm his nerves? McPhee burst into the rip and snort. Chet! At the bar, he saw Chet, a tipsy scarecrow in a Santa suit. Chet! Chet! Oh, morning, Mommy. Oh, Chet. Oh, it's you, Johnny. You were scared, huh? Uh, I came in here to get a drink of courage and it worked! Okay, let, let's go. McPhee had no choice. He was going to have to put on the Santa suit and jump. But as he looked at the seemingly lifeless form of Chet Chesterson, he got a better idea. A few minutes later, he burst into Pearl's dress shop. What's wrong? Pearl, look, I don't have time to explain, but I need a mannequin. Oh, of course. You're going to put a Santa suit and a parachute on the mannequin and push it out of the airplane. Uh-oh. This must be crazy. Oh no, it's genius, go! Ten minutes later, Josefina was taxiing down the runway, seated next to a Santa mannequin. There was no turning back now. Meanwhile, downtown, Mesa was a madhouse. Dolly, Francesco, and Pearl had to admit, McPhee was a genius. After Santa dropped, they were really gonna move some merchandise. Suddenly, the plane appeared. From 3,000 feet, no one could tell that Santa was just a mannequin as it moved out onto the wing and jumped. The children squealed with delight. Even the parents and merchants gasped with joy. For that moment, the world was full of possibilities. For that moment, the Great Depression was really not that great. This was truly a magical Christmas. for that moment. Perhaps McPhee at the corner of Dobson and Maine was the first to notice. Santa's parachute was tangled. No, 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 no! Its feet first fall transitioned into a rapid end over end tumble. Dolly, Francesco and Pearl watched in disbelief and looked at the children who had still not quite caught on. It was one of those moments that happens in slow motion. Santa, 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 Santa. <laughs> Parents hugged their children and guided them away from the horrible scene. But hope was never lost with John McPhee. He pulled the costume off the demolished mannequin. It, it's okay, the kids know Santa can survive this, right? Santa can survive anything, right? He put on the Santa suit and jumped in the squad car. Floor it, Roy! But when they arrived downtown, McPhee was horrified to see that the town was empty. Emptier than he had ever seen it before. Hello! Hello! 
and this is true. McPhee skipped town for a few days, hoping that when he returned, people would have forgotten all about the Christmas Day Massacre, as some called it. But they never did. In fact, when John McPhee died in 1960, the list of his accomplishments was pretty impressive. Mayor of Telluride, Colorado among them. But when his former paper, the Mesa Journal Tribune, ran his obituary, he was identified by his common name and title in Mesa, the man who killed Santa Claus. But in my book, John McPhee had one of the greatest qualities a person can have. He loved Mesa. And this John would love to walk the streets of downtown Mesa with that John and show him everything that's happened in the last 90 years. A world-class art center, light rail, popular restaurants, award-winning craft beverage joints, and one-of-a-kind coffee shops that, yes, serve espresso. And next year, we'll have an ASU campus right off of Main Street. Mesa is reborn. And with every one of these improvements, it's people like John McPhee that made it happen. Dreamers, doers. So John McPhee, if you're listening, thanks for the inspiration. You're just one more reason we can all say, it's always cool in Mesa. Merry Christmas, Mesa. What's the meaning of that story? This is a, a guy that we have in something in common with. This is a guy who had a lot of community spirit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is a guy who uh, wasn't driven exclusively by uh, selling stuff downtown. He wanted the people in during the Depression era to have a moment of escape, you know, yeah. to, to enjoy the holidays, to have it for their children to be happy. Uh, and I think that's what people see we're trying to do now. I mean, we don't do ice rinks and Christmas trees and lights and and Polar Express because we're trying to milk the public out of their hard-earned <laughs> money. We do it because we're trying to create a, a, an opportunity for an experience, for, mm -hmm. for memories for our children and, mm -hmm, and yeah. for families to come together and, and have that, you know, the, 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 the magic quality of the holidays. Uh, and that's this. That's what this story is about. Watch out! You better not cry. Today's the day old Santa's gonna die. Santa Claus is falling to town. He went up in a plane about three thousand feet. His parachute failed, and now Santa's dead meat. Santa Claus is falling to town. I wanna break it to you gently. Don't wanna do the young ones harm. So all you kids gather round and listen up. Hey, Santa's bought the farm. Look up in the sky, is it a bird or a plane? It's old Saint Nick and he's dropping like rain. Santa Claus is falling to town. Let's give a big round of applause to our performers tonight. On drums, we have Bruce, Bruce Sedona. On bass, Theodore Sistrup. On piano and our musical director, Emily Susan Pat. Emily. And our special musical guest, Emma Nesson. Our actors included Lindsay Maxson and Brittany Minor. Our producer and sound effects man, Mark Arnett. The creator and writer of the show, Brian Nesson. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Mayor John Giles. Merry Christmas. He should have stayed behind those reindeer. He should have stuck inside that sleigh. But he wanted to help those downtown cats. So his last words were, ho, ho, hey. Better watch out. You better not cry. Today's the day old Santa's going to die. Santa Claus is falling. Santa Claus is falling. Santa Claus is falling to my kind of town. I'm going to say it one more time, and it's going to end up on the end of this episode, I think, if you'll let me keep it in. I think you're the funnest mayor in America. Well, I'm having more fun, I think, than any mayor in America. So sure, I'm... you're not up for re-election. Of course you're having more fun. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I sleep like a baby every night. I'm surprised yeah. you're not growing a mullet. Yeah. Let it go. <laughs> the, the party's not on top anymore. That's for sure. I've got, got a nice bald spot.